Hi, I'm sitting here with Bob from the 12-step group that we have here in Toronto. Bob, how's it going? I'm doing awesome, thank you. So Bob's going to share a story with us. This is actually maybe, I think, my first time hearing your full story. You know, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, and to spread that message of hope. Um, Bob's got an incredible story, and I'm going to pass the mic over to him. Thank you so much, and God bless. My name is Bob, and uh, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless situation. Um, I'm an addict, hardcore addict, a type 3 that... If you know a little bit about the big book, you'll understand uh, what that is all about, which means I was hopeless, and without help, it was too much for me. My story is just a story. It's nothing special about it. Um, this does not make me an addict, but it is part of what happened to me when I was growing up. Um, uh, from the earliest of age until I was 13, um, I was sexually abused as a young boy on a daily event. I do not blame this for my addiction. Um, it may it may be feel different. I accept that, but my symptoms of addiction were other other things such as dishonesty, uh, stealing. Uh, right from the earliest of age, I had all the characteristics of an addict. Um, I hated myself. I never thought I would ever amount to anything. I always used to compare myself to other people and um, I was never good enough, straight up, you know, and I know when you live in that life of darkness, you know, the only relief that I ever really found was to get high or drink. I remember the very first time I, I got high, it was on of all horrible things, sniffing glue and a huffing in a bag. Thank God I didn't do that very long. But I remember that when I was in that spot, I had no worries and I had no cares. And it wasn't too long after that that I found alcohol, you know. And right from the very beginning, I was just thinking before I did this, I wanted to relate about the very first time I had a drink. And it was a Mickey. Of, um, of rum, okay, and we were in the back seat of a car at a drive-in theater at Highway 7 and 27 in Woodbridge, exactly where I was. <laughs> I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, and right from the very beginning, when I opened up that bottle and had my first drink, the big book describes as the ease and comfort of just a few drinks, and I drank that bottle in a very short period of time. I can remember going out and praying to the porcelain god of his day, swearing that I would never do this again. But, you know, that wasn't the case. You know, I lived for that feeling of being out of myself. And, and here's where the story gets a little bit different, because, you know, what happened with me is that, like I told you before, I only had a Mickey at the beginning. But as I went along, I started drinking more and more and more, and I soon graduated to a 26er already, mm. and I could do that with no problem whatsoever and actually carry on a conversation and not be staggering and slurring my words because my body started getting accustomed to the alcohol, and I wasn't getting the buzz that I was used to get, and I had to drink more and more to get less and less. This is insane, you know, but uh, then I found... A product called marijuana, pot, 
well, geez, I can tell you when I smoked pot, I thought I was smarter, and I thought that I was really brilliant, and it gave me a lot of courage. But, of course, along with smoking pot meant consuming more alcohol. Mm. And as time went by, I needed stronger and stronger pot or more and more joints, where at one time I could have a joint that would last for three or four hours. You know, I'm now smoking joints every hour, every half hour. They were like they were cigarettes, you know, and then swallowing back, you know, prestigious amounts of alcohol, beer usually um, at those days. And then I found something else, a product called cocaine. Well, my goodness sakes. Wow. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that I love the effects of cocaine. I really do. Or I really did, pardon me. Um... And again, it took, it took me out of myself, and it allowed me to drink for longer periods of time. It allowed me to stay awake and consume more. And how much cocaine did I do? I did enough cocaine to put a hole through my nose. you got to do a lot of cocaine to do that. Put a hole through your septum. Mm. And, uh, and then again, the same phenomena happened. The damn stuff stopped working. Uh, what used to hurt off with a gram became an eight ball, you mm. know, and that was not enough. And so if I can't sniff it, you know, what the heck, let's go smoke it, mm. you know. And I started freebasing and doing crack cocaine. You know, anybody who's been on the pipe knows what that's like. It's insidious. It, it puts you into awful situations, crack houses, crack dealers, prostitution the whole nine yards, and uh, and again, that, that same phenomena happened, that damn stuff stopped working, you know, and like I was doing terrible things to, to support my habit, stealing, robbing, I'm the kind of addict that would go into your house, steal your dope, then help you look for it. I had zero morals. I lived for one thing and one yeah. thing only, that is to get high. You know, so I think you see a trend here, getting a little stronger, a little worse. You know, my disease never gets better, only gets worse. And the last year of my using, I found the opiates. Mm. Uh, I, as a kid, used to hate getting needles. As a matter of fact, I used to kick up a big fuss and fight with my mother and they literally had to hold me down to give me a, a booster shot or whatever I was getting at the time. And what am I doing now? I'm self-injecting. You know? Um, anybody who's been on the opiates know that now not only do you have this mental habit, but you now have a physical habit. Your body now requires the drugs, heroin, morphine, oxycodines, uh, those were my favorites. Uh, this stuff took me to jail. This uh, stuff had me living in my car. This stuff had me lose my child, okay, because uh, I abandoned her at the age of three. But you know, there's something really cool about this story is that things got better, you know? Mm. So I just gotta give you a little story what happened. What happened to me is that I had overdosed at a hotel 
and uh, I had basically been rushed to the hospital where I told outrageous lies to the doctors that no, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, but when the doctor found this hole in my nose, I was busted on the spot, and he told me quite simply that I was going to die. And when I left the hospital, I think most people would think, well, geez, you know, Bob, maybe you should go home and dry out. But no, no, I had this ability to lie to myself and actually believe my own bullshit. And I went down to look towards Queen and Sherburn in Toronto to find some crack. I was only going to do a 20-piece, you know. Never done a 20-piece in my life, but I had convinced myself. But I never made it to young. I have a Quincy Sherman bumped into a young woman who I knew very, very, very well and we used to use together, but uh, she was inexplicably different mm. and she was sober. And I figured, like, what the heck's going on here? First of all, I didn't believe her. I thought she was lying and she was full of shit, but tracked is once you got to talk to her, you could know that she was different. There was something about her eyes. She was sparkled. She was alive. And I will not tell you her name because it's not fair. But uh, best to say that we're best of friends today. Mm. And she told me about this organization called Cocaine Anonymous, CA. I remember I went to my very first meeting. It was a Monday night, Monday night. Bluer and Young there, first Toronto, I think the group's called. And then God did something to me strange. It was another girl who was down there who used to dance. A couple local establishments that I used to manage in my alcohol drug days. And I, the last time I had seen this person, she was an absolute pale. She was just a hopeless bucket. As a matter of fact, she actually got fired, not as only as a dancer, but she actually got fired as a prostitute. That's hard to do, you know. And, and there she was, picking up a five-year medallion. Wow. Something's going on here. This girl's got five years. The girl who brought me down has got six months. And so something is working. I'm not quite sure what that something was, but something was working. And so I started going to meetings with all kinds of favor. Back in those days in CA, the message was not so much the big book as it was go to 90 meetings in 90 days, be a service, uh, you know, chair meetings, put away chairs, greet people, get involved with the area meetings and whatnot. And yes, those things kept me busy. All right. I actually went through the steps half-heartedly. And I actually had 11 months clean and sober. 11 months. Hey, I got this down pat. I got 11 months. Don't you know who I am? And uh, I did something very unspiritual. And I uh, went down to Queen and Sherburn looking for a female companion. And uh, I, brothers and sisters, I didn't last like 10 minutes. And I was back on that pipe before you knew it. And uh, five days rolled by where it was just nonstop using. And I hit that proverbial wall where I just couldn't go anymore. And I passed out for a day and a half, two days. And I remember when I woke up, the horror that I felt. You know, absolute horror. I had relapsed and I was totally baffled. Totally baffled. I, I didn't know like what's going on. Why why am I not getting this? Why did I relapse? Why do I feel like this? You know, and I almost didn't come back. 
you know, but I did. And the first meeting I came back to was a, a Tuesday, naturally Hyde Park, and honest to God, I lost it in that meeting, and I wanted to kill myself. And uh, that same female who introduced me to Cocaine Anonymous happened to be at that meeting, and, and she wouldn't let me get into my car, or having said that, she actually got in the passenger seat and said, I'm not getting out. So if you're going to kill yourself, you're going to kill me too with it. And I couldn't do that. And I went to a meeting at the Phoenix Group on Wednesday in Toronto. And I met a man who asked me, do you want what I have? And my life started to change. He took me through the big book of alcoholics, one word at a time, one line at a time. And here are the things that I found out. A, I'm not normal. B, I'm fucked. Without help, it's too much. And there's a message in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's a recipe. And it's a recipe to find a power greater than yourself. If I could have done this on my own, I would have. But I put myself into a position where I was beyond human aid. Not only was I beyond human aid, but my using and drinking life was the only life I knew. I didn't remember what it was like to be sober. Uh, in the big book, Dr. Silkworth says, I couldn't tell the true from the false. That's the exact quote from that book. And I, I didn't get better right away. You know, I didn't have one of those burning push spiritual experiences that they talk about in the big book. But I had one that was described as the educational variety that happened over a period of time. I don't really like talking about clean time very much. It means nothing to me. The truth of the matter is that I've really only been sober since about 6 o'clock this morning. Because whatever I did yesterday is not going to keep me sober today. Mm. But I've been doing that since May 21st, 2007. Uh, so, you know, I have a few 24 hours, but I don't take it for granted. I honestly don't take it for granted. Um, I'm an addict of the hopeless variety, and I have to consistently work a program of action. Prayers, helping others, and saying sorry a lot. Because, you know, I'm still the only person that steps on my toes. I used to blame everybody else for my problems. never took responsibility. But now, after done the work in the big book, I realized that <laughs> I was the addict and I was the problem. You know, I had a role to play in everything that happened to me. And so what's my life like today? <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Well, one of them is in jail. And the other one's not doing so well. But the others are doing really, really good, you know? And they they call me dad, and they look up to me. I'm a bit of a mentor. I'm still not used to that, I'll be honest with you. But I accept that. I love it. I am now living in beautiful downtown Windsor, Ontario. And God has blessed me in so many ways. You know, I've gotten involved with a program called MAST, Men's Addiction Support Treatment. I get to volunteer there every single weekday for an hour to two hours, and I get to talk to young addicts and help them and take them through the steps. And I cannot tell you what a blessing that is. I'm loved, God loves me, and if you're hearing this message right now, God loves you. And in the book it says more will be revealed. And what's been revealed to me in the last little while is, is that 
God makes no mistakes. You are perfect just the way you are. You know, God's love is forever. So if you're having difficulties, if you think that you have a drug or alcohol problem, I have a couple suggestions for you. First of all, admit defeat. Two, come to a meeting. I don't care what fellowship it is now anymore. They all seem to work. And get yourself a sponsor. Make sure the sponsor knows that he got his recovery through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Do the work, and you're going to be surprised what comes out the other end. Mm -hmm. An amazing, beautiful, awesome life. I have forgiven myself for the past. I love my God every day. I embrace him every morning, and I embrace him every night. If you want to know a way of living, turn to page 86 of the big book. It'll tell you exactly what to do. It is an instruction manual, that book. And page 86 will tell you how you should start off every day. And it'll tell you how you should start off every night. And may God bless you and keep you safe. Thank you. Bob, when you say do the work, what kind of work are you talking about in terms of how you got from a man, you know, self-centered and lost in his addiction to actually grasping on to these concepts. What kind of work? I um, would meet my sponsor every day. I was uh, working in those days in Thornhill, and my sponsor lived in Ajax. And he got off of work at around 3.30, so he wanted me to meet him at 4 o'clock at Salem Road in the 401 of the Tim Hortons. And I drove there every day, five days a week, for almost about three months. And we used to go through the big book. I'm a mucker. I don't, I'm not ashamed to say that, or a booker, whatever they call it these days. Um, and I went through the big book, and I followed the instructions. You know, so I got step one. My life is unmanageable and I couldn't do it alone. I got step two, uh, you know, believing in the power greater than myself and God. Step three, turn my will over to that power, you know. Step four, you know, do an inventory. And step five, share it. And there's all these steps are designed for one purpose and one purpose only. That is to find something greater than yourself that you grasp onto, love with all your heart and have faith that uh, you don't have to live this life anymore. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I struggle with the concept of God. Who is your God and how is that so personal to you? Well, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the book says God either is or isn't. Yeah. I believe in the spirit of the universe, somewhat native-based. Yeah. Um, there is an underlying rhythm Mm -hmm. to this world and that's as close to my higher power that I can describe it I know one thing he loves me and he loved me just as much today as he did when I was in the middle of my disease love hasn't changed um, and I have to grasp onto that love and, and believe that love and 
how I do that is by practicing loving other people mm. for who they are. I learn forgiveness by forgiving people. I learn all these things. And some people say that a belief in God is a weakness. Actually, paradoxically, it's a, strain, a sign of strength. I don't know. I don't take my sobriety for granted. And I have very little to do with it. Very little. It's God. I love you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you so much.